You are listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. It's maybe not such a good day if you're an Ulster player coming back into the video review after that defeat We'll discuss why Dan McFarland was so upset with that game. But I'm Adam McKendry, back in the host chair again, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael Sadler. Hi, how you doing? And Jonathan Bradley. Hi, how's it going? Of course, we will talk about Ulster's European semi-final against Leicester, which is coming up this Friday. We'll mention that later on, but we've got to start first back at Kingspan Stadium for that game against Connacht. I think we've just got to jump straight in with both feet to the final minute. Uh, ignore all the 79 minutes that went on before it and go straight to that captain's challenge and the madness that went on from there. Um, Jonathan, I'll start with yourself. We knew about the new rules coming in. I don't think anybody expected to have such a big effect in game one. Yep, classic Rainbow Cup action. A game that could only have been in the Rainbow Cup. It's probably what the competition wanted, I suppose, given that it was a perfect illustration of how the new rules are meant to work. And it was an entertaining game, even though it's obviously completely out of any context, really. So all things considered, it's as successful a start to this competition as as there could have been, really, given uh, all the justified flack it got in the build-up. But... Obviously, a horrible way for Ulster to lose a game, having had the ball, the lead, and there being about 70 seconds left. Uh, similar enough, I suppose, to the Gloucester game in that sort of end game and how um, you came to lose a game and you're wondering just how it happened. I reckon there were some Pro 14 Blazers going, look at how great our new law variations are. That must have been great. That must have been great fun for them, seeing that it actually worked. Yeah, um, well, I mean, you only, you only had the. I think you only had the one uh, goal line dropout, but the rest, I suppose, in terms of the uh, of the captain's challenges, how they're going to work, how they maybe are best used, <laughs> I suppose, mm-hmm. all really came to the fore. Because I, I think Ulster, Ulster's was the only successful one. Or sorry, Connaughts was the only actual successful captain's challenge this week. I know Munster tried to challenge a few at the end of the Leinster game and they were told they couldn't. And I think the Scarlets had one against the Dragons that was unsuccessful. So in actuality, of all the captain's challenges that happened over the weekend, Connets was the only one that actually panned out. I mean, Michael, I suppose the, the crux of the issue, do you think the decision was right that Michael Lowry was, didn't release? Yeah, well, I, I think it was actually. Yeah, I think it was. But you could also argue it was perhaps you know, harsh. But if you look at it, step back and look at it in context of what it's meant to deliver, I think it was an entirely justified attempt and probably justifiably held up actually as well. Ordinarily, the game was over, wasn't it? That's why I love the Rainbow Cup. It's just pure entertainment. I mean, what more do you want? You know, it's just, you know, it's mad. But, you know, that that... That will have hurt a lot uh, to be caught out in that manner. Well, not so much caught out, sorry, but just just, just finding yourself in that situation under the new experimental rules. And, you know, Ulster had also attempted their own one, which actually, funnily enough, was an attempt to clearly get a player sent off, which was interesting. Uh, didn't work. And they lost their challenge then as well. I, I mean, they, there's nothing they could have done if they'd had a challenge left, I suppose, anyway, if they challenged 
the score as such. The score would have could stood. they could they no. have challenged what Dan McFarland was complaining about? Oh, the the mole thing, you mean? Yes. Had they still had a challenge, could they have challenged that penalty? I'm assuming that they could have done. Yeah. When was that penalty? When when did that happen? It was in the last five minutes, so they could. No, have challenged that. So, no, so what, what happened? What happened was was it not a turnover scrum? And I think I think this is this is where the same thing happened in Leinster Munster because Munster were driving a mall towards the line, and the referee judged that it was held up and gave a scrum to Leinster, and Munster tried to challenge that, and the referee told them they couldn't because it it wasn't a decision that he had made. It was it's something about you can only challenge a penalty, so you can't you can't challenge a scrum. See this. This is where this is where the law. I thought you could challenge anything in the last five minutes. Any decision in the last five, surely, as long as you haven't, you've still got a challenge to deploy. Is that not right? I suppose it comes down to whether they're saying it's a decision mm. or whether it's you can challenge a penalty. Because yeah, as Adam says, that's not so much a penalty as mm. an action. I suppose. Yeah, but the, then the thing is. It is a, it is a decision. If if you go back and look at the scr- or the mall that gets taken down and is a scrum to Connacht, if you are able to review that, you can go back and look at it, and the TMO will be able to determine whether it was brought down illegally. So I'm not sure why you wouldn't be able to review that. Ulster didn't have their challenge anyway because they'd already lost it. Ben asks on Twitter thoughts on Andy Friend's less than impressed take on Ulster's captain's call or uh, captain's challenge. Sorry. If you haven't heard what what he said, Andy Friend was basically very unhappy with the fact that Ulster essentially tried to get Abraham Papali sent off for what he felt was not a high hit on Matty Ray, I believe it was. So yeah. he didn't hold back on what he said in his post-match comments. Guys, well, what are your thoughts on it? Dan, Dan sort of hit, hit back by saying... In the heat of the or well, what Andy Friend said, Dan told him was Matty thought he had been hit high in the heat of the moment, and it turned out he wasn't. I mean, if you have this for foul play at any point in the game where you can challenge it, then by definition, if you're telling somebody to look at foul play, then you're trying to get the player carded. So we can't just have every time there's a challenge of foul play, somebody, the opposition coach, is like, oh, well, it's not fair that you're trying to get my player carded. Like, I assume his annoyance was because of who the player was, a player that has had his fair share of issues with cards for high tackles. But if a player feels like they've been hit high, which Matty Ray obviously did, then by using you have the challenge means that it's encouraged that you're trying to get somebody carded. It's not like some sort of unwritten rule, presumably that coaches aren't meant to use this to try and get other players sent off. I think it's ludicrous to complain about, especially given that if you use your challenge and it doesn't come off, then you're at a disadvantage. Mm. So it's not like teams are going to use this all the time for nonsense. Michael, agree? Disagree? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's entirely down to the player, who the player was, and the impact the player made. And also, you know, they wanted to try and get him off. They had a they had a means of, 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 of doing that. And whether you... Look at it and say, well, that's not really the spirit of the game, is it? That's what the rule, you know, the rule is there and that's what you can do with the rule. So if you use it and it doesn't work, well, then it doesn't work, but it's there to be used. Now, Ulster had scored a try, so would they have been better just 
forgetting about it and getting on with the game. In retrospect, probably yes. But, you know, that, that that's just the way it is. And, I mean, you can do that now, so why not do it? I think Andy Friend was was furious because it was that player, Pabali, and he's had problems with him before and he didn't want him to get another red card. He didn't get another red card, but Ulster didn't know that. Put it this way, I don't think it was done, you know, well, cynical. I mean, it it's there now to be done, and this is what you, you will see. So Ulster didn't do anything that was outside the law, you know? Mm. And so I, I really do, yeah, I think I can understand why he was upset, but I don't really think it's worth... Uh, it was probably better internalising it rather than letting it out there, that's all. I think you've hit on something there, Michael, in that Ulster had already scored, so the only outcome of the review mm. was it was either be dismissed or he would get red carded. So suppose I, I, yeah. can see, I can see where Andy Friend's coming from in that Ulster have already scored, you're not going to get a penalty from it. Either way, you're going to be restarting from halfway. The only outcome is he's going to be carded or they're going to play on. So I guess he's probably a bit frustrated that that's what Ulster are angling at rather yeah, than... It, 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 you could say it was a bit cynical, but you can do this. Yeah. And actually it would have made quite a difference had they got him red carded. Let's face it, he's got form. And then you'd have had that 20-minute situation. Probably mm. changed the game, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm, 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 yeah. not, I'm not disagreeing that, yeah. Yeah. you know, that they, were wrong, or they were wrong to challenge it, but... Yeah. I'm just saying, I think you've probably hit on a reason why Andy Friend was oh, yeah. more upset than, say, if it well, had been just in the average play-by-play moment. Well, it's the Rainbow well, Cup, isn't it? Like it's why it's so essence. good. We love it. <laughs> it's so good. We're, we're essence, talking about, this know. is why this thing is here. This thing is here to guard against, essentially, foul play. Like, you want to look at examples like, you know, Scotland in the 2015 World Cup quarterfinal and think, well, in an ideal world, this is the kind of thing it's going to stop. But it's not. This is going to be used to guard against foul play. So while it, you would think that the TMO would look at these things anyway, and they probably do, every time they're used for foul play, you can't have a coach coming out and saying, oh, it's not in the spirit of the game to try and get somebody carded. Because that this is what this is primarily going to be used for, really. While we're on the topic of law variations, we did have one goal line dropout it was very uneventful we all thought this was going to be a fantastic thing and in the end it's absolutely no more exciting than a 22 dropout so um but it's nice to see that introduced i suppose i can't even remember somewhat by the fact that ulster like (laughs) turned over the ball as they attacked off it so well yeah there's also that um (laughs) but new laws in place we uh, will move on from that. Thoughts on the game in general? Uh, we've got a couple of questions here, but Ian Frizzell asks, if you continually give the opposition chances from per defensive setups and decisions, when do we start calling out coaches? Now, that's a bit of a loaded question, but um, Ulster were quite per defensively again uh, at the weekend. Four tries against a couple of significant line breaks from from rocks like Caelan Blade broke at least twice from the base of rocks and the passage of play that actually led up to the captain's challenge right at the end was another break close to the rock Johnny I'll, I'll come to you first what did you make of Ulster's performance without the ball first of all I didn't think they were good I thought it was definitely one of their poorest performances of the season 
I don't know if I'd be as concerned about it as other people are, given that the context of the season, given that I don't think they cared that much about the Rainbow Cup, to be perfectly honest. They're going to say differently, but I don't think that they did. I think when you see Herring, Henderson, Stockdale and Cooney all go off early, it's an indication of where the priorities lie, obviously. And I think it was all that Connor had to play for. Like these were big factors in the game as much as the as much as there were bits of the game that were definitely lacking in terms of application and more technical details. I just think they didn't want it as much as Connor did, frankly. Is that a concern in any way? Like for me, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, you've got a semi-final next week, but if you aren't applying yourself especially whenever Ulster do give this mantra of we take it game by game like I understand that naturally you'll want to look to next week a bit more or this week as we're now recording now but at the same time if you're gonna whip out this mantra of we take it game by game and then say at the end uh, we, we didn't really focus this week as much as we should have is that not a concern? Well it depends how they do next week like if they uh <laughs> If they, if they hammer Leicester by 40 points, then nobody remembers that uh, they lost the first game of a competition that in a year's time, nobody will really remember who won. If they go out to Leicester and look completely off the pace from the get-go, then people look at, oh, well, um, you've not built into this game in the way that you should have. Michael, what did you make of the performance? Uh, there isn't an awful lot I can really add. You know, it's kind of been covered. It was poor. It looked, uh, they didn't look sharp. They didn't look terribly switched on. And yet, you know, but for the captain's challenge, oh, look, it's back again. We're still talking about it. They would have won that game in the end. And they would have been quite poor. We would have moved on and gone, ah, yeah, well, you know, they were, you know, we would have probably said largely what we're saying now. But they did, they lost the game and they didn't. They didn't really look, and I think even Dan McFarland said it in the lead-up, the pre-match interview, he was asked, what about the new rules? And he said, oh, well, we haven't really, we've done a bit on it, but, you know, you know, we're, 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 we're thinking, I think he more or less said it, because we're coming out of this situation into next week, we haven't looked at it in great depth, you know, because they, they weren't playing a block of games like this. They're, they're, they're even then thinking about the Challenge Cup, which might have been an indicator of then what unfolded. And like Johnny said it, I mean, you know, you want to win a game, you don't take off your best players, do you? Yeah, I, th- no, I thought you don't. I thought it was very interesting that Stockdale was the one brought off for Will Addison, and I, I completely agree with you guys. I think that was definitely with Leicester in mind. But just given how the game was going and the fact that neither Balakun nor McElroy had really made much of an impact, whenever Stockdale was the one brought off for Addison, I think that was very clearly an indicator that thoughts were elsewhere and I'll bring in Matthew Potter's question here now where he says I hate saying it but with the amount of interpros this season they're becoming devalued and then he says discuss I find that a really interesting question because I actually quite enjoyed Friday night's game in isolation I thought it was a good game and to be honest it was the first time where I've been to a game in a while this season and I've actually thought to myself I'm quite looking forward to this I think the problem with it is that you're sort of taking this season or sorry looking at this as a block so it feels like that Connacht game at the start of 
sorry, at the end of last season was part of this season, if you know what I mean. So within this same block where there hasn't been a break, going back to last August, you've had two rounds of Interpros and then a healthy chunk of the playoff games have, have been Interpros as well. So aside from the fact that this game on Friday was actually a good game, I would agree with the original point. The fact that there's been so many has diluted the build-up, diluted the anticipation surrounding them. Like, what happened on Friday, I don't think can be viewed as, you know, justification for the Rainbow Cup or justification for playing more random interpros because it was two good teams playing in good weather and they served up a good game that was full of talking points, full of incident. But I think if you look at the way that the week went and especially the week building into um, Leinster Munster, rather, even rather than Connacht Ulster, was more muted than any build up into a week of interpros that I can ever remember. And that's even given the fact that, you know, even say the Christmas interpros, you know that you're not going to be seeing full strength teams and there still seems to be more excitement in the build up. And I think that is just a product of what was essentially an interprovincial championship almost in August to then the Christmas games to then another set of interpros in March to then be now at the end of April and the fact that you're playing, again, what is essentially an interprovincial championship. So I do think that, the, yeah, I do think that there has been too many, and I do think that that's why you're seeing as much as the Rainbow Cup in April 14 and sort of the, the fact that the games, certainly now for Ulster and Leinster, don't really mean anything, and they have other competitions on their mind anyway. But I think that there should definitely be a worry from the Pro 14 and um, that their best fixtures people haven't seemed as excited about them in isolation because through, I suppose, not really fault of their own, just through various times when travel has been difficult to go back to last August and then to now, that you've almost wrung them out a wee bit. Yeah, I think that's probably just something that you have to put down as an unintended side effect of the coronavirus pandemic, unfortunately. But Yeah, because if we don't, you know, if we don't have any again until possibly December time then by the time you know by the time you get to December I'm sure people will be looking forward to them with the usual gusto it's just that we've got three in a row now we've had three in a or three out of four I suppose in very recent memory and then we've had the ones that we normally would normally have at Christmas and in March as well so I, I think it'll be a temporary thing but I would completely agree that it's been a very different build-up into these ones, much more muted than normal. No, there is a chance there's another one to come. The Rainbow Cup final could well be an Interpro. <laughs> well, not if Banner didn't get there. Well, this is it, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> it could well be. So I'm saying we could have another one, potentially. The, the Rainbow Cup's all conquering Benison. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Rainbow Cup, as I say, it's brilliant. Look at it. It's brilliant, you know? see, I'm put, putting money now on a Benetton Zebra final. Stick it at the San Siro for their first test event for fans coming back or something like that. Well, they have to play each other twice, so um, it'd be very difficult for them both to get through, wouldn't it? Don't ruin this for me, Johnny. The first all-Italian final in a Pro 14 endorsed competition. It's got to happen at some point. Why not now? Um, I'm not sure that it does have to happen at some point, to be honest. <laughs> I can dream. Come on, we're all on the Benetton bandwagon, are we not? Um before we move away from the Rainbow Cup and 
look ahead towards the Challenge Cup semi-final. Uh, we have to mention the fact that Will Addison made his return after 15 months out. He came off the bench. As we said, he replaced Jacob Stockdale uh, and played for half an hour. Michael, you gave him a six in your ratings. Can you talk us through how you came to that number and how you think he did? Well, not really, no. In the chaos that uh, was that game, it's very difficult to talk anything like that through an individual (laughs) rating that you give out in the utter pandemonium that ensued with a deadline breathing down your neck. Okay, Um, then then let me rephrase. How do you think Will Allison did in context of the game? (laughs) Yes, that's much, much better. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, considering the amount of time he'd been away, very considerable, the... Doubts that we we wondered really, you know, where he would be. Would he come back at all? And there he was. I thought he looked pretty sharp, considering, you know, he uh, he made you know one or two very telling breaks. He he made a tackle or two. I don't think you could really blame him at the end for the try. And I I think that you know it, it really it looks really promising if he if he can stay fit and, and get fitter and sharper, then it can only be a good thing. And to see him back is uh, is very very you know uplifting after all the problems many problems um, that he's had. It does of course bring another issue as to where he fits in the team, but I'm sure we'll have a maybe a lengthy debate about that as well. Uh, what his best position might be, but I think um, that was another one of the perhaps the few positive factors you could take out of Ulster's performance: the fact that he was back, that he actually looked reasonably fit, sharp, and uh, I think made a, a few. Uh, decent contributions in the game as well which is much much more than you might have expected I, I was going to say I'm, I'm not quite sure what was more impressive that one-on-one tackle on Papa Lee after he broke through or seeing him breeze back through a gap again like he was a ghost great to see him back I suppose we'll, we'll have the discussion now rather than leaving it where does he fit in for this week do you play him against Leicester is it too soon to throw him into a a European semi-final? Does he start on the bench? Where Where are you guys thinking Will Allison fits into their plans for Welford Road? I can see him on the bench. I think, like, Adam, we've talked about this before. Like, it's easy to forget how much centre he played in his first season because of how well he played at fullback then in his second season. But the guys that have played there in his absence, like, I thought Hume was probably one of the players... Ulster that would have come out with a fair amount of credit on Friday night. I thought he played pretty well um, in a bad in a bad team performance. Um, so I'd like I'd not be tempted to uh, take him out of the team. And I th- just think the way Laurie's played at fullback, and even the way Laurie played when he came on. Now I, I know that was a, that was a ten, but I, mean, I I understand that there'll probably be people saying that well you could play Laurie at ten and Addison in fullback if you wanted to. Do you know what I mean? But I don't see that as being what Dan does. I think the most likely thing that we're going to see is him in that 23 jersey. I think you're going to see Madigan at 22, and I think you're going to see Matthewson at 21. So it's a real luxury to have. Now, you won't have it for too much longer in the case of Matthewson, obviously, but it's a real luxury to have to have those three guys on your bench in a European semi final. Michael, would you agree? Would you start him or would you put him in the 23 jersey? Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to agree. Unfortunately, I would put him in the 23 jersey, definitely. I think it's far too soon to throw him in from the start. And um, 
the, the, the guys who will fill those starting positions have all played so well. I don't see any reason why you would change that. Uh, but he could he could uh, he could have quite a quite an impact in the game, you know, later on when he comes on potentially in the second half. But if things are opening up a bit, that's exactly the, probably the best place or the best entry point for him at the moment. Probably not too dissimilar from um, coming back against Connacht, and uh, he can change things up. Now I know personally he'll not be thrilled about that. I don't think any player is particularly thrilled to be on the bench. But considering everything that he's been through, I, I don't think he personally could have any complaints. And I think I, I think he will get the twenty three shirt. I don't think Dan will go six two split. Don't think. Um, and I think yeah. I mean again, Johnny's absolutely right. I mean I think Matthewson and Madigan and Addison will probably be the three wearing the the you know the sub shirts on the back line. If that's how the backs are looking, then do the forwards pick themselves? Essentially, is there anywhere that we're thinking there might be any confusion over selection for Dan McFarland? Uh, I don't think so. No. Um, I just think Marty Murray comes back in. And uh, Jordy. To play, to play tight head. I think, yeah, Jordy comes back in. Yeah, of course. In place of in place of Matty Ray. And I suppose that this is always the point that we debate whenever we have uh, big games and handies available of just who's uh, who's going to partner and whether it's going to be Kieran Treadwell or Alan O'Connor. So put, put a name out there then. You, you, you said two names there and you've only got one slot to fill. So I think it'll be Alan O'Connor purely on the basis of, as we've said before, what the way that Dan's gone in the very biggest of games and the fact that O'Connor was the one that got the rest. Fair. Michael, same starting pack. Would you make any alterations? Uh, I don't want to be really boring here, but I, I, I don't think <laughs> it isn't fair. I don't think I would. That is the only, the only debate is whether, in my opinion, whether it's really Kieran Stradwell. Well, actually... Um, Eric O'Sullivan um, didn't start, um, but I'm guessing that he might start. That that I, I'm not sure actually what he'll do between O'Sullivan and Andy Warwick because, as we know, Leicester are pretty strong up front. Um, that will be a call he will have to make on what both of those players bring to Ulster's game plan. I'm not sure what he's going to do there. You'd automatically think he probably would bring in Eric. But yeah, it, you know, in effect, it is. Is it Kieran Treadwell's more dynamic presence around the park and perhaps greater line-out ability, or is it Alan O'Connor's sheer grit, graft, and work rate? And I would tend to also go with the latter because of the sort of game that we would probably expect to see, where the Tigers are going to be going to really seriously put the squeeze on them um, up front. Yeah, I was going to say because <laughs> Ulster's scrum against Connacht was quite solid. And you, you know Tigers are going to come with a very powerful front row. Um, Tom Young's in there, Dan Cole, um, and obviously Alice Genge, who's an absolute maniac at the moment. Given how well Andy Warwick went at loose head in the tight, especially at the scrum, would you be tempted to start him over Eric O'Sullivan? Yes, I would. But as I say, it entirely depends what way Dan wants to set Ulster up and how... Because, you know, Andy, Andy Warwick is really, really, that, that is his strength. But, you know, around the park with his ball carrying and, and those, you know, that, that area of his game wouldn't perhaps be as strong as Eric's. So that's what he's got to uh, weigh up. But the chances of Leicester really wanting to attack Ulster Scrum might well uh, mean that Andy does, Andy Warwick does get that, that, that nod. Eric Sullivan does have experience of going up against Dan Cole before Dan Cole started the, the last game. Between these two sides, as did O'Sullivan, so it's not—it's not going to be new for him. 
Uh, but I suppose as he's sort of said himself, his scrummaging hasn't been where he wants it to be this season. So, and he's pointed out that, you know, that's, I suppose, the bread and butter that people are looking at. I just think, I like, I think that he'd probably be looking at, I suppose, and we'll get into this in a bit more detail anyway, but like the area that I think will worry them the most isn't so much the scrum as the physical contest in the loose. Like, they came out second best for large chunks of the Northampton game in that area. They were second best in that area for virtually all of the Connacht game. And just trying to find a way to, I suppose, in the face of line speed from the opposition, how to win these collisions, how to win the battle of the gain line. And I'm guessing you would probably give Eric the edge there just in terms of the couple of carries that he's going to give you and just the more work that he'll get through around the park, maybe. By that logic, you would say, Kieran. It's a tight call. It is a tight call. Johnny Smith asks on Twitter, should Ulster adapt their game to semi-final rugby, or is that a recipe for disaster? And he goes on to explain that he means playing more conservative, kicking your points instead of kicking for the corner. I think we kind of saw that in the quarterfinal, that you know Cooney took a couple of kicks for the posts instead of uh, going for the corner. How, how would you like to see Ulster approach it? Um, I'll go to you first, Michael. Do, do they stick with what they've been doing for most of the season, or do you go into that sort of knockout rugby mode? Look, I, 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 I think they'll just... I, I don't think they'll change things substantially, but it's very, very difficult to know. It will entirely depend how much pressure Leicester put on them. I, I think that will determine precisely what they're thinking. Uh, when they get into situations where they might go for the corner. But, I, I, you know, honestly, I would have thought that the type of game that Billy Burns plays and the type of game that, you know, that high-tempo attacking game, if they can utilise that, I think they'll definitely do that and they'll go for tries, as opposed to what I assume the question is, reeling things in a bit and just, you know, knocking over three points every so often. But that that's a very, very hard one to call. I mean, I, I it will... You just don't know what way Dan will be trying to, you know, will, will be trying to outsmart the Tigers, whether that is indeed exactly what he decides to do or whether he tries to play to what Ulster's strengths are, um, which clearly are trying to, to move the ball at pace and find uh, width through edges and so on. So I, I think it will very much depend on how things are going. If they're struggling clearly to get into the Tigers or near the Tigers 22 and they get a shot at a penalty, then yeah. I think they'll hand it over to John Cooney if they're struggling to get presence in there and they're going to have to you know, register some points when, when, when they get in that area. But if not, I mean, I, I, I think they'll still, I, I think they'll still play it the way, I think the way that sort of suits, if you know what I mean. The big thing is going to be the line out because if the line out doesn't improve, then they may well kick to the post all, all day long because I completely understand the point about, you know, cup rugby and the change in emphasis there to league rugby when you're chasing bonus points, but Ulster's main source of tries, regardless of the competition, is through their mall. And that is obviously the product of why they don't kick an awful lot of penalties in any competition. But if you don't get a marked improvement at the line out from what you saw against Connacht, then you have to kick your points because the mall isn't going to be the weapon that it is if you can't get the line out right. I think you you probably would have seen a bit more of a shift towards this cup rugby mentality 
last week against Connacht, sort of to get them in that mindset if they were going to play that way. I, I would agree. I think they're just going to stick to their strengths. I don't think that they've switched it up significantly this season, so why would they start doing it now in that regard? The only time they've ever sort of strayed from that was Leinster down at the RDS whenever they kicked their points in the first half. But apart from that, they've they've stuck very rigidly to that. Well, the kind of game away as well, but that was maybe weather-related possibly. Um... <laughs> Every tactic you play down at the sports ground is weather-related. Like in in one half you kick everything for the corner, and then in the second half you tap and go from everywhere because you're either into the wind or you're with the wind. <laughs> I suppose it's worth pointing out Ulster's record at Welford Road recently has been decent. Uh, they've won two of their last three, um, and obviously we know their record in England has been good. They've won their last two. We know what happened against Gloucester, but picking up the win against Northampton who actually beat Leicester at the weekend in what was actually a very exciting game. Ulster will feel pretty confident going into this one, won't they, Johnny? Yeah, well, I mean, the two teams that they've beaten so far in this competition, when at full strength and fully motivated, are better teams than Leicester. But with Leicester having lost the last two in the league, you're not in the same position that you were in against these other teams because... I would say you're almost getting to a point now where Leicester are looking this looking to this competition as something that they can obviously realistically win, but something that they can more realistically get success out of than they can in the league because those two defeats and against the two teams that they've come against as well, while they've you know they they've been close, close losses, but it's had a really sort of detrimental effect to their push for the top six and has virtually taken them out. I would say, of the push for the playoffs, which they were only like within an outside chance of anyway. But, you know, this team, I can see them going at this being, looking at this as a real way to, I suppose, be the focal point of their season now, which was certainly not the case for Harlequins and probably (laughs) not the case for Saints either. Everyone's been talking about how Bath are probably the most dangerous opposition because this is their main focus. But... You're right, Leicester have slowly slipped down. I think they're eighth, I think, now. Yeah, they're, they are, they're, yeah. yeah they're, they're a few points outside the top six and time is running out. Um, and you talk about you know Henderson and Addison coming back, but uh, Leicester hmm. had the money and the dolo coming back off the off the bench on, uh, on Saturday and getting an awful lot more rugby into his legs than maybe expected because he came on, uh, came on the first half, scored two tries and... Um, Looked as hard to handle as ever, it's fair to say. Playing inside centre as well, which I'm not sure I've ever seen him doing, but that that second receiver role, that must be a nightmare for anybody looking up and seeing him taking the ball off fly half and running. Well, there's also a nightmare, you know, around uh, the base of, what was it, they, they, they mauled, wouldn't they? And they got pulled down. And then I think maybe a phase or two later, he took the ball, came steaming in, close yeah, range. Just... Now, not, not three, three not... two tackles and... Uh... I think there could have been three or four of them, and I don't think they were going to stop them. No. You know, battering ram stuff. I remember whenever Fiji came to play the Barbarians at Kingspan, uh, Nandolo was put up for interview before that. The guy is massive. Like, I I don't get how you can look at that guy and someone thought, let's put him on the wing instead of in the back row. Like, he's a prototype <clears throat> number eight, and they just chucked him on the wing and said, stretch your legs. 
Yeah, <laughs> him and uh, him and Kara up at the same time, and I was like, yeah, pick out which one's the forward. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was his, that was actually his first game back as well. He's been out for a while too, so. <laughs> Hmm. Yes, Ulster beware. Yeah, that's the thing. I think Le- Leicester actually looked better once they made the change at scrum half as well, which is interesting. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. The, the young scrum half with I think he's what's he? He's South African, isn't he? Or I'm not yeah. sure. Jack, Jack Van Portvliet. Yeah, he's South African he, he born looked, but English qualified, I believe. Yeah, he 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 really looked very sharp, very sharp indeed, a real handful in a sort of Caelan Blade way, you know. Which is interesting because they do have Richard Wigglesworth. Who has been a very good backup to uh, Ben Youngs, of course, but Van Portfleet is definitely the future. And it'll be interesting to see what way they go there. And it'll also be interesting to see what way they go at fly half because Johnny McPhillips seems to have done most of the heavy lifting in the Challenge Cup for them so far. But they've obviously got George Ford there. And if they start him on Friday night, that'll be a very good indicator of how seriously they're taking this competition. At the same time, mm. it'd be good to see Johnny McPhillips playing again, obviously formerly of this parish. How do we see this going? How, where do we think Ulster have to get on top in order to win it? I think, yeah, just as I said before, it's the, it's the, it's the game line, it's the collisions. Like, I suppose Dan didn't, didn't want to draw a parallel between the Northampton game and the Connacht game because... Northampton, I suppose he, citing the dominance of Harrison in that first half, certainly seen more understanding of uh, Ulster's performance at the at the gain line. Whereas against Connacht, he just citing soak tackles and um, really sounded like he was particularly unimpressed with some some players' performances in that area. But it's not that I would say it's a trend because it's you know been across two games and I suppose in differing circumstances with different different personnel but regardless of how Ulster have done in the past couple of weeks when you look at the, the way that that Leicester team is built to su- succeed you know the fact that kick to pass ratio from Ford is tilted more towards the kick than any other fly half in the premiership this season you know they they are a team that are built to play confrontational physical rugby around the game line and that's something that Ulster if they don't get to grips with, then they're not going to have success. Like the same, the same as against Northampton, but against Northampton at half time, they managed to turn the tide, which is something that you rarely see in terms of you know physical collisions because it's very hard to turn that battle around when you start losing it. But the, it was something that Ulster managed to do, and that was what was probably the most impressive thing about their comeback against Northampton. But they just they need to be getting parity in that area from the start on Friday. I suppose in that vein, it's good that the last two games have come against Northampton and Connacht, who play very similar styles then. Not to put too much of a a damper on it or anything like that, but given now that Ulster are really behind the eight ball in the Rainbow Cup, now they've got one loss, how much more important does it make this game as a must-win, Michael? Given that everything has been geared towards winning a trophy this season, does this put a lot more pressure on this game than, say, if they had won on Friday night? No, I don't think so. It's this is the game. You know, I think you can park the Rainbow Cup. You really can. This this is the game. This is the competition. This is what everything's geared towards, and the pressure will just be the same. I don't think it makes any difference that they're not potentially, you know, in the wrong. 
for the Rainbow Cup after you know one round. But of course, they still did come away with two points from that game, um, which was kind of forgotten about probably by everybody, understandably. To just move on. But no, 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 this is the game. This is what it's all about. It's it's about the Challenge Cup. It's about winning in Europe. It's about getting to this final. Everything is geared towards that. And um, that has been the focus. As we've already mentioned, it probably was... It was already, you know, factoring in perhaps some of the for some of the players mentally anyway. Even maybe some of the coaches. This is it, and this is this is this is the only thing that matters now. In the Rainbow Cup, you can just forget about it. It'll be back, but at the moment, it's gone completely. It's of no relevance or importance. I don't think whatsoever. This is about winning at Welford Road, getting into the final. This is about subduing, you know, Leicester's power game with the likes of Liebenberg and Jasper Visa. This is this is about how. What what this is this is about how you stop them. This is about how you win and make the only final that really that matters. I suppose now it's time for for predictions, guys. On Friday night, will we be looking forward to a Challenge Cup final, or will we be dissecting a semi final defeat? I I actually think they'll win um, on Friday. I mean, I think I'm more confident of them winning this week than I was them beating Northampton. To be honest. Now, when it comes to a final, I think it's going to be very difficult against both those teams, and depending on where the game's played. But I think that they'll win on Friday. Michael, do you share that optimism? Oh, I'm afraid I, I'm afraid I do. Yet again, this is no good. This you can't have this. <laughs> I've got to fundamentally disagree, haven't I? Um, it's something that we haven't didn't mention actually was discipline, and Leicester's is pretty poor. They've had something like 22 cards throughout 19 games this season, and they had two actually. Um, the weekend there that's a great so it, it, yeah yeah oh yes thank you thank you it's uh, it's a problem for them they also don't score many tries i think they're, they're one of the lowest scoring try scoring sides in the premiership their their, their game we, we spoke about it earlier what it's all about what steve borthwick's trying to do i think that ulster's game is probably when it functions it's better and it is more creative and it can do things uh, like Johnny said, turn around what seemed an impossible situation since, who I think it's fair to say are a better team than the Tigers, in, in, you know, certainly where they are at the moment, and that worked. I, I, I just think the performance against Connick, I just don't think we'll be talking about it. I really don't. I think it, it's just one of those ones that was as a result of this, really, and a competition that they weren't very enthused by in the first place because of this, naturally. And I think that I, I, they will not play like that. And I think that um, you'll see a very different Ulster. And I would be confident that they'll win it, which probably means that's put the scud in it. Because I think I said that Saints would win and probably Harlequins, if I remember rightly. And I was completely wrong about that. So, <laughs> but I, look, I do think they have it within them to do this. I think they have it within them to get to the final. So there we go. If Ulster lose on Friday night, it's all Michael's fault. it's it's actually just interesting on that discipline point I know you don't have this to hand but where the cards have come from you know are they yellow cards for repeated infringements are they yellow cards for high tackles because I feel like Ulster with the back row that they have and especially with Jordy coming back in who's been very good at the breakdown recently they are a team that can put a lot of pressure on teams at the breakdown and if Leicester are a team who have given away a lot of yellow cards for repeated infringements close to the line, let's say, then that's possibly somewhere that Ulster could exploit. But very good stat. Very, very good to take into Friday night. Uh, I'm going to make it a full house, by the way. I think they'll they'll get it done as well. 
we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, I suppose, but let's say Ulster do win on Friday night. Who would you rather they played in the final, Bath or Montpellier? Open question to either of you. I think a few uh, a few months ago, say, when this competition was kicking off again, I think you definitely would have said you'd rather play Montpellier, but Montpellier have actually really picked up their results recently. Now, it's, there's obviously been an awful lot of cancellations in the uh, in the top 14, which has made it <laughs> somewhat difficult to gauge their momentum. But like a team that for a long time this year looked like they were really, really struggling. You know, they've beat... They've beat Claremont recently. They've beat Toulouse recently. So they're starting to find a bit of form from, you know, the perspective of the other teams in the Challenge Cup <laughs> at the wrong time, I suppose. And then sort of like you mentioned there, like Bath have a good a good team and they're not going to be as distracted either by, I suppose, anything domestically because, you know, there's no relegation and it's going to be tough for them by that, certainly by that stage of the season, I think, to be, uh, to be looking... To be in that top six or possibly definitely not the top four. So sort of like we saw, I suppose, two years, well, near enough two years ago now against Bath, like they're going to be a very tough game as well if they get their sort of star names out. And I I genuinely think that both games against both those teams could go either way. I think they'll both be very, very tough teams to beat. And it would be very close games. But I, I, yeah, I do think it would be easy to look at Montpellier and think, oh, well, you know, they're in the lower reaches of the top 14 and sort of ignore the better rugby that they've been playing recently. Michael, bathroom Montpellier? Um, I'm, I'm, I don't think it matters. Just getting to the final is, is, is crucial here. When you get to a final, anything can happen. So I, 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 to me, it, it's, it's not really relevant who you actually play. The relevance is getting to the final. And then it's, it's a one-off game. And you know anything? Anything could happen at all. Neither of them are going to be easy assignments at all, regardless of where Bath are in the Premiership or indeed where Montpellier find themselves in the top fourteen. So I, I don't really think it matters at this stage. I think all that really matters is that they they make a European final, and then you know anything can happen there. Before we finish off, we do have to talk about the Ireland women. Ireland beat Italy twenty five five at the weekend to secure third place in the Six Nations for the second year in a row, the second COVID uh, afflicted Six Nations campaign. Brittany Hogan made her first start for Ireland at open side flanker from an Ulster perspective. Michael, you watched the game. What did you make of it? What, what do you think Ireland will have well, taken away from this tournament? I'm not awfully sure what they'll have taken away from it. I mean, they finished third, which I kind of think they might have expected to finish. Hammered Wales, beaten off the park by France, and then, you know, eased to this win over Italy. The game was just an example. I think at one point during the game, somebody said, the commentary team, how many times, but it was about the 60th minute or maybe before, how many times have Italy been in Ireland's 22? The answer was none up to that point. That, that, that just sort of gives you an indicator that it's very hard to pitch where Ireland really are. You know, they were only leading 8-0 at half time. And even though it was only 8-0, you couldn't see Italy scoring in any way unless maybe they got a penalty. They pulled away from them in the end. But, you know, it it, it was a workmanlike win. It wasn't a great spectacle. I don't think either side played particularly well. Um, clearly, Italy played very, very poorly indeed. But I'm not sure what Ireland really can um, take away from this. Clearly, there's still a lot of debate about the structure of the women's game here and what needs to be done and so on and so forth in order to to, to, to organise it better and to perhaps also 
try to close the gap on the likes of France and England. But um, I'm not sure really what they'll have taken away. They, they, they would have probably expected to lose to France and, and possibly beat Italy and Wales anyway. Yes, I guess you can probably look at the sort of bigger picture stuff rather than just the, you know, just the, I suppose, each individual 80 minutes where pretty much every game went as you would have expected. Like, you you never would have thought that Ireland would be going into a Six Nations game without Claire Malloy. But, you know, the people that came in and I thought played well, I thought Hogan played well. Second in tackle, kind of think, um, worked hard, like, there's obviously a decision to be made there at 10. Like, do you, do you go with Flood moving forward? Do you go with Hannah Terrell moving forward? So you've got the competition for places there. And then obviously the individual performances of Wall and Parsons at various points throughout this championship is something to build upon and try and build upon. But I think it was very important that they won this week after what had been a difficult week, just as Michael alluded to with all the... It felt like miscommunication or mixed messages about, um, I suppose, the direction of the game. Yeah, Ireland are sort of caught in that middle area where you have England and France at the top, then Ireland kind of on their own, then Scotland, Italy and Wales down at the bottom. It's it's almost like a stick or twist moment where they have to try and close the gap to one or just accept that they're going to be in that bottom four. Um, so hopefully there'll be a few decisions made on that regard very soon. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week. Thank you very much to my colleagues for joining me. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Cheers, thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks, Adam. Don't forget you can join us for coverage of Ulster's Challenge Cup semi-final against Leicester on Friday night on the Belfast Telegraph website. We'll be live blogging. Until then, stay safe and we'll see you again next week. 